welcome back to another episode of the Art vs. Commerce podcast, proudly presented by Masters in Motion. This week is with cinematographer Nicholas Matthews. Uh, I have known Nick's work for a while now, and I've been a big fan. And um, we recently met up for the first time about a month ago at Cinegear in L.A., and uh, Nick is at a crossroads right now in his career, and I thought it would be uh, a great moment to sit down and chat with him. Um, he just had, uh, it's his sixth uh, feature film, but it's the first time it's getting a theatrical release. It's going to be out on October 4th. It's called Cuck. It's going to be uh, out in 10 cities for a, a two-week run. And he also just got signed uh, his first representation with Zero Gravity Management below the line. So it's uh, an exciting time for him, and I think... You know, when we had first met up and we had a, a really long conversation and he told me all about his background, he came, he grew up in a very fundamentalist um, Christian society uh, and, and town um, and that that was something that he had to, you know, come to terms with and grow grow away from. Uh, it, but it was super deep um, in terms of how much of an impact it had and how all-encompassing it was. You know, I think it's one thing to say that you grew up in a religious household, but this kind of takes it to... Um, an extreme level, but he 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 explains it in in a really in really interesting ways, and and you know there are a lot of um, aspects of the artwork that he was able to appreciate uh, in the house that I think led to a lot of the um, artwork that he makes now. So in a way, it's just fascinating how people get to where they're going. I mean, at, at one point he was he was working at the Creationist Museum, and then to go from that to now making very subversive films. I mean, his feature film is called Cuck, and he, he goes deep into explaining all of it, but it's about an alt-right main character. And it, and it it's, a, it's a complete full circle in a way from the upbringing that he had. And so I knew that I wanted to talk about that. And then, you know, I think that this conversation, uh, as opposed to maybe some others that follow a bit more of a chronological path, is really just more of a jam on the on the craft and what we like about it and his thoughts on it I you know I think his level of appreciation for being a cinematographer and for the art form that it is is so apparent uh, I mean it's like oozing out of him the the level of his appreciation for it how he thinks about it how deeply he thinks about it all of the different facets that he enjoys about it um, he speaks so enthusiastically uh, about cinematography that we were just like bouncing all over the place and I and it's and it's great um, it's not a conversation that we have often and I thought that um, it was just really interesting to take that in I think anytime that him and I chat it could just keep going and a lot of that is because he's just um, full of ideas and there were just nuggets of um, of inspirational thoughts uh, sprinkled throughout so I really enjoyed chatting with him and um, you can look for the, the two projects that we spoke about the most, his short, I'm going to, pronouncing it is so hard, Macaulay's, I don't know, you hear me mess it up <laughs> in, the, uh, in, in the interview as well. That you can find a trailer for that online. You could also find a trailer for Cuck online. And um, I highly suggest you do. Every, in, in, in Macaulay's, every, every frame is a painting. Uh, we talk about how that was able to happen. And we, we, I think if you can watch that trailer and you understand the, the beauty of the images, that it'll help um, translate a lot of the uh, conversation that we, that we had about it. And uh, the Art vs. Commerce podcast is uh, presented by Masters in Motion. If you go to shooteditlearn.com, you can learn about their three-day uh, filmmaking um, 
conference that happens in Austin, Texas every year in December. ASC cinematographers, ACE editors, production designers, everybody comes down. Uh, it's at the Alamo Draft House on 6th Street. It's an awesome venue to do this kind of thing. They uh, give presentations. Um, there's a, a practical day, like learning learning how to light um, a scene from Game of Thrones is, is something that happened one year. Uh, but the best part is that a lot of these presenters stay for the three days. They come out at night. You can grab them a beer. You can talk to them. And um, that whole aspect, the social aspect, is what makes it really special. So that's uh, Masters in Motion, and they are our presenter. Um, <clears throat> And also uh, on iTunes, if you can rate and review and subscribe, uh, that would be great. Um, it's been really wonderful in the last couple of weeks just hearing how so many people are enjoying it. And if you could do that, I think it'll spread even further. So we would really much appreciate that. And for Masters in Motion, you can find out about that three-day festival at shooteditlearn.com. So this week is with cinematographer Nicholas Matthews. Thanks for being here. I feel like we're catching you at a really interesting time. I was saying it on the phone the other day that you have a, uh, a movie that's about to come out in theatrical release, and you just got signed to Zero Gravity Management. So you're having you're having quite the uh, the month. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is funny because when we when we met, uh, I don't know how long ago was that? Cinegear. Um. Yeah, early June. Whatever that was. Um, like a month ago. Yeah, I was like in such a different headspace and in such a different place. But it's also something it's it's both exciting and also something that's sort of like that constant reminder of life is life requires patience and like we don't know what's around them sort of around the corner. And like, you know, five years ago, if you told me I'd be in this situation, I would be like, holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And I think uh at the same time it's like not getting carried away with like these are all like amazing things and great steps forward but they're also just like part of this long-term journey that has no real you don't totally control but you get to sort of enjoy it unfolding i guess yeah i mean um how do you feel right now comparatively <laughs> pretty good yeah i mean it's i'm super excited for people to see the movie like it's mm -hmm. Um, it's really exciting to be uh, working with AJ and Alex at Zero Gravity. And I think they have, it's just exciting to have more people involved in sort of like thinking about my career and where it can head and sort of thinking through like, uh, I know the kinds of stories and, and sort of images that excite me, at least at this juncture in my life. Yeah. But it's nice to sort of express those to people that are like, yeah, that's cool. We also know who to connect you with in order to like to a certain degree make that happen no, totally. still i mean it's still just you in the room you know what i mean it's still just you in the interviews but yeah uh, but there's a feeling that you have a team which yeah which it's been a long time of not that so it's a little it's also a little weird because i'm like oh okay right like i have people that i can talk to about this right this is great right well i know you're saying alluding to it's been a long time of just being by yourself and i mean the journey that you've been on um, is really quite fascinating. And I think that it, it, you know, some people, they go on an interesting journey and I don't necessarily see it directly in the work, either through their photography or in the like content matter. But in yeah. yours, I, you know, I think that we definitely can, can see that. So to hear some of your, your background, because you came up in a very different type of, I don't know, way comparatively to like, uh, you know, now living as a creative artist in LA, like, 
like, yeah. like explain <laughs> where you where you your your background. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, obviously that's a big question, I guess. But I I feel like I, I always knew I wanted to be a storyteller, and I think that essence and that part of who I am has always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in, I mean, we talked some about this, but I grew up in a really fundamentalist conservative Christian, uh, environment. And it, and even inside of that environment, I also loved literature and was studying literature and sort of was watching, you know, as a kid, you have, you're just sort of, the world is unfolding to you for the first time. I mean, that's all of life, but I feel like everything is normal because you have no other basis to reference. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, I I think letting people understand too, like it wasn't just a somewhat religious household, but the fact that like, (laughs) like if you can, if you can share like the level of, of, of fundamentalism that was happening. Yeah. So I grew up at this place that is the self-proclaimed bastion of Christian fundamentalism in the U S it was in the news, like, uh, in like 2001 when George W. came and spoke there and then a bunch of news outlets were like, why are you speaking in a place that doesn't allow interracial dating? This yeah. is a place where like women, not only was dancing and cards forbidden, of course, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> like women weren't allowed to wear pants. Um, Dan, you know, it's one of those things where like, I didn't go to a movie theater until I was in college. And so it's the sort of thing where you have, a lot of really extremely patriarchal, legalistic sort of viewpoints, but those are being told to you as this is uh, eternal, universal truth. Yeah. And so it's like growing up in the middle of that. And then I also have like, uh, you know, siblings that are in the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and so watching them sort of like come to into themselves and sort of, find their sexuality, find their identity was sort of like this. I mean, I have four siblings and like all of us are just all over the world and in different places and in different lives than we ever imagined. So it's been like really exciting and really cool. But along the way, there's been a lot of trauma and a lot of like, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of sort of dealing with like the psychology that you take on when you're in that environment, I guess. No, sure. I mean, I, I think that you, you touched on it for a second that when you're raised in a place where it's not just in your house, but in your entire community where you don't know any better, I find it quite remarkable to go from that to being a cinematographer. And like the fact that you haven't, that it took until college to even go to a movie theater. I mean, what There's is such sin in the movie theaters? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they play the, the image bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I that 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 journey of like discovery and like that being a kid and I would imagine at times having inklings that things were not the way that they had been told to you this whole time. That that's just such an interesting journey to go on. Obvi- on a more personal level, it has nothing to do with the art, but also to end up being, you know an artist yeah it's I mean what's interesting is I don't think that I think that coming from that viewpoint uh I was very fortunate that my dad also has his master's in literature and so there was like a real love of stories and narrative Hmm. and that's something that even in the Christian like an orthodox Christian tradition like a fact you know a love of narrative is something that in certain circles is still um 
important to them. Mm. And so they, you know, being able to look at the Bible as something that's like, oh, this is a collection of literate, literary work, but it also is something that they derive truth from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, you know, I still have this same interest in talking about the human condition. I still have this same interest in sort of looking at uh, aberrant human behavior and sort of looking at the complex genetic you know, biological, uh, psychological, experiential sort of things that make us who we are. Yeah. And I feel like uh, growing up in a religious context like that, sort of everything was put in like moral terms. Everything was sort of like, this is good, this is, you know, evil. There's not as like a ton of room for sort of like gray territory, depending, I mean, at least in the the world I grew up in. And yet through literature and yet through storytelling, you learn to empathize with other people. And even in part of that is also just like growing up in a house of like, you know, there's six other people there. And like, uh, my mother has had significant hearing loss since she was a child. And so learning to communicate with somebody like that or Mm. learning what it takes to communicate with like, uh, you know, my siblings are just all over the map in terms of like where, who they are and where they stand and their interests. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like it's a. I guess I, I wanted to be. I felt like I wanted to be a writer because I felt like that was how you sort of leave your mark in the world and how you sort of express. I felt like narrative is the best way to understand and express like uh, our authentic truth about humanity. Well, and and yeah. I, what I say when I say that I just mean uh, both earlier in my life when I was somebody that would have called themselves a believer and who I am now, which is fairly agnostic, I still see in stories this ability to understand human beings and the complexity of our emotional experience in a way that no, you know, I mean, it it happens in literature, it happens in in theater, it happens in uh, music even, um, and it happens in film in a really amazing way. Um, And I feel like growing up in that context, it was more like, how can you know a lot of the way they look at it is like how can we use art to sort of like convert people but i was fortunate to have like you know a father whose like literary collection included like a lot of ernest hemingway a lot of mm-hmm. like Franz off mm-hmm. uh, a lot of like i mean i think that, range of stuff yeah that seems like an incredibly important aspect that that was kind of the key because i i'm also i'm just curious on that in terms of that personal journey because for a time you know you told me prior that you like worked at the creationist museum and yeah and and i know that the way that you described it to me when we were talking about it off the air was it's like you know at the time that was just a job you got like almost as simple as like working at a movie theater um you know selling popcorn which i it's just funny it's just a, a wild experience for me as a um like a, a new yorker um to hear someone who I like I respect your art so much and that it where it started is like a bit mind-blowing to me (laughs) well uh that's I mean that's thank you I appreciate you saying that it's um yeah I think there was a time in my life where it was something that was really important to me and it was something I was really passionate about and Mm. looking back I sort of see a lot of there's a lot of safety and strong ideas and there's a lot of Mm. like emotional and mental safety in living in a religious community Mm -hmm. and being a part of a group of people who believe, I mean, there's nothing quite like the feeling that 
Like we have the truth and we're sharing that with everyone in the world. You have a secret. Who's like also headed towards hell. <laughs> like there's something, you know, I mean, like it, it doesn't have to be like uh, malicious. It can also no, be something that comes from a really compassionate place. Sure. Um, and so there was a time in my life where it was a really important part of who I was. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it was also a big point of self-hate and a big point of what do you mean? great... Uh, I mean, I think I dealt with a lot of trauma, a lot of like depression, a lot of sort of, uh, there's a lot of self doubt and I still deal with a lot of these things. Some of them are probably, you know, part of my biochemical makeup, but some of it is also just, it's sort of like taking those anxious, fearful feelings and sort of funneling them through this impossible, rigorous standard of like, you'll never live up to this and you can't, you you know what I mean? Like what's expected of you in that environment. Mm -hmm. So I think in that context, you still have to find ways to become, uh, because so much of it is asking everyone to sort of join into one. I mean, we were at, uh, you know, it was a very big part of my life. I would say probably four nights a week I was doing something involved with the church. This is like knocking on doors, like reaching out in trailer parks. Yeah. Like, you know, it was was a really intense kind of, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't like a immediate transition. It was sort of like, even when sure, I ended up sense. sort of working at the creation museum, I was in high school actually when I first started mm-hmm. and it was just, uh, I knew people there and I was like, I was like, well, these are, you know, this is, it wasn't a viewpoint that I doubted at the time. When um, did the doubt, how did the doubt creep in? Because I feel like the doubt creeping in, yeah. And the artistic awakening, I, that, yeah. I, I mean, I'm guessing, but I would imagine that they might be linked or they happened around the same time. You know, I weirdly, not, they didn't because really? of, uh, I, I think for me, like my initial passion for film, it started even in as early as like, I was younger. I mean, honestly, I remember the moment I picked up my parents, like video camera. I was like, this is cool shit. Like mm-hmm. I'm into what I can do with this. Mm -hmm. And then it became like making things with friends. And that was sort of like, that was a way to tell stories. That was a way to, you know, have like community in high school. And I feel like, um, that was something that was still, I was still passionate about, but as I was like sort of entering a more progressive phase of Christianity in my life, I guess I would say, uh, I was sort of becoming, it's weird because, like, even in high school, I was, like, in love with, like, Ingmar Bergman and was like, Dad, you got to check this out. It's amazing. Like, yeah. I made him watch, like, Seven and The Godfather. And, like, I was just, like, kept pushing the boundaries of, like, what we could watch in the house. And he was okay? And, uh, like, ha- that he was yeah. maybe supportive? Like, yeah. That seems pretty pivotal, I guess, at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's an, you know, my older brother went to Juilliard and plays uh, classical and broke flute and studied that. And I think... The, the things that I take from my parents and take from a lot of that, among many other things, uh, both of them are very kind people, but um, they always set, they pushed us to do what we believed in mm-hmm. and to sort of like fight for what mattered to us. Mm-hmm. And my sister said it once. She's like, yeah, mom and dad taught us all like be independent, think for yourselves. And then they were like, whoops, because <laughs> we all just like <laughs> did that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like the journey towards writing was actually a part of, it was m- melded into my faith in a certain way. But I still love like Southern Gothic literature. I love this sort of like apocalyptic, you know, kind of uh, sort of like 
storytelling that sort of shakes you, you know what I mean, shakes you, like like that Flannery O'Connor and Cormac McCarthy and stuff like that. And I was fascinated by it then. And as, I mean, even for me, like, I guess there was, there were a lot of initial sort of questions. There was like, towards the end of high school, I was definitely in a place where I was questioning a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a I lot, of, a lot of kids are at that age. Oh, sorry, I missed that. I was saying a lot of kids are at that age. I think it's the, yeah. the difference is the the starkness and the differences between what you were considering. Yeah. And I mean, I can't, I can't also, I also can't look at it without, like, there were some really traumatic events, like with extended family committing suicide and Mm. a couple family members committing suicide, like early in puberty for me, like seventh grade. And Mm. like those events, like heavily shaped me in the way I looked at the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, like, you know, it's one of the things that I'm constantly fascinated by is the fact that like five kids grew up in the same household and we all had very different childhood experiences. Mm. The same event affected all of us differently. Um, The things we remember, the things we care about, it's all different. And it's like, we're all, I'm just fascinated by like where we intersect with people in Mm. our lives. And like, I think growing up in that context makes you really aware of perspective yeah. because you grew up in a place where everything was sort of like seen from one point of view. And then as you get older, you sort of start to shift that point of view and understand there's like a, mul- a multitude of ways of looking at it. Mm-hmm. So even when I got out of, you know, I, I came to LA at the end of like college, I went to like a small Christian school mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, met my wife there and, uh, uh, we, I don't know, like when I got out, like towards the end of school, I ended up doing an internship in Los Angeles and it was like, at the time I was like writing, directing, editing, shooting, like everything. Yeah, the, the classic, I just got out of school scenario. Yeah, and like I just didn't, honestly, I didn't know who any cinematographers were. I was like 21 or whatever and I was like, I just, like I remember having a conversation with someone they're like, this is Roger Deakins and I'm like, who's that? <laughs> you know, and like, uh, but in another way, it was sort of like, as I was making shorts and I started shooting stuff for friends and um, I feel like on that sort of, you know, it sort of shifted from like an interest in writing to an interest in making films. And then uh, from an interest in being like a director, because I didn't know anything else. uh, It was sort of a really specific interest in visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like everything that I've loved about literature, everything that I've loved about other art forms is something that you can take into movies. You can take into you know, the visual motifs and the sort of arc of like a story and the arc of a character and how you can break that down and talk about that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, being involved with something that's a really like, I mean, it's a very primal, I mean, there's a lot of blood in the like Christian sort of storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling. There's a like violent, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of like, you know, for lack of a better word, depravity that's depicted. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it also is something that it does. It's not afraid to shock you. I mean, all the like prophets and the minor prophets, like then Jesus himself, like there's like a shock value to how they present themselves. Yeah. And so I feel like that, like all of those things were still very interesting to me. And even now, like I look at the Bible as a really fascinating book yeah it could be like Uh, quite cinematic yeah it's like it's you know it's one of those things where i'm like i was talking to my therapist and i'm like have you read the book of job like it's crazy (laughs) she's like no like how do you not know job like job is like fundamental to western civilization and more of the world too um as as you yeah no (laughs) i i I knew i knew the conversation was going to be like this and i was looking forward to it um as you um start to do 
more projects and, and you're in L.A., like, are you... Because the projects that you're doing now, like um, Cuck, which is going to come out in theaters for a limited run, and I think Macalis, or how do you pronounce it? Uh, Macalis, yeah. Macalis, um, is in the same vein where these types of... Where I, like, what ha, what you've been through and the belief structures that have been made because of that journey, I feel like they are definitely a part of these films in particular. And now that's a normal occurrence for a director, um, sure. you know, or like a producer who's trying to make something happen for themselves. But it's, that's a harder, that's a harder thing to accomplish as a DP. And I guess just the question of, you know, how DPs can find their, the stories that matter so much to them when you're not as much in the uh, driver's seat about that. Yeah, I mean, some of it's luck, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, some of it's just, I think, because um, Cuck was, like, the maybe the second or third script that that director sent me mm-hmm. um, in the course of our, our relationship and friendship. Um, you know, I think, I don't know, it's weird, because, like, I think I've always kind of known the films that, like, I would want to watch. Mm-hmm. And, I, and to me, I just want to make those kinds of films. I think along the way, like you know, when you're getting started, you really have no concept for what the, like, journey, what the path, what any of that might be. And so I got to LA, you know, I moved to, I mean, I was working at the Creation Museum, I was working as an editor and, like, you know, editing a lot of propaganda and, like, mm. using video cameras to shoot stuff on the side and, like, make things myself and with friends. And um, was able to do it at least enough to build a reel. And then at a certain point, I was just like, you, I, you know, I don't, this isn't who I am and I'm going to regret it the rest of my life if I don't give this a shot. This so, a shot being what? Say that one more time. This a shot being what? What was, um, like leaving the town? To La- yeah, I actually I hit up a couple DPs and I just said about a year out from moving. I, I was at the museum, after graduating college, I moved back to Ohio and ended up working there and um, I, uh, about three years into that, I was, it was pretty frustrating for me because I still had like, I still wanted to tell these same sort of films and make these same sort of stories. And like, but the advantages were I wasn't, you know, I was in a smaller market. I was near Cincinnati. I was able to do job projects on the side. I was able to um, have access to tools and access to crew that are really talented that are in that mm-hmm. area and mm-hmm. learn a lot from them. And also just, you know, I was lighting stuff and shooting stuff on the weekends for fun and like, it was, I learned a lot through that process and um, I'm, and in making shorts and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of got to a point where I was like, well, I want to be a cinematographer. Like, I know I want to do this. Like, it's something I'm really passionate about and I love. Um, and it was basically like, okay, what is, you know, can I do that and live in Cincinnati? And I was like looking around at everyone there and kind of looked in the general like Midwest region and was like, I, I don't think if I want to do what I want to do, like, they're going to bring all the they're going to bring all the department heads in from Los Angeles or New York, and if I stay here, I'm I might be able to assist on some amazing stuff, but I'll never be the DP. And yeah. I don't really like being on set unless I'm I don't mind operating; it's kind of fun, but I don't really like doing much else other than being the cinematographer. Like, <laughs> it's a lot of long hours. It's not that rewarding for me if I'm doing other jobs. Like, mm-hmm. I respect what it takes to do them, and I really respect. I have done you know I have a seed before. I have been a gaffer. I'm not great at them. I, I'm like way better at hiring better people than me in those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So when I moved to Los Angeles, it was just like, you know, beforehand I reached out to a couple of DPs and said, hey, like, this is what I want to do. Like, what do you recommend? And like, you know, I'm saving money up. And so my wife and I, uh, we made the decision to move out like six years ago. We saved up some money and didn't really have like a great plan, to be honest with you. I just was like, I want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and I got out and started, you know, I just knew I didn't even in the early sort of days, I was like, I was really shooting a lot of whatever I could find from like Craigslist or Mandy or whatever. Um, and through that process though, you sort of like find like, okay, there are some films that I enjoy watching, like, uh, that I don't necessarily want to shoot. Like I love a great example of that would be like, I love Wes Anderson's films. Like I enjoy them. They're fun. They're tidy. They're cute. They also deal with like death and, tragedy in fun and interesting ways like yeah. and, and he has like i am particularly fond of even though i don't think it's his best film darjeeling limited because oh, it mirrors a lot of my relationships with my brothers mm. and so uh i say that to say though like that sort of photography doesn't really uh interest me like I was don't that a journey them. to get to that point of like like i don't know figuring out the things that yeah that 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 do especially as you're because it takes time to get to that point. Because you need yeah. to you need to try things out. You need to actually be yeah. shooting in order to yeah. actually realize that type of stuff. Because there's such a difference, of course, between being a fan and being a practitioner. Um, yeah. And I could see that being a learning curve. Yeah, I think early on for me, I just was like, oh, I love. It's sort of what you have to do in the beginning of anything. Is you're like, I love these things. How do I make these things? And you sort of set about trying to do that and mm -hmm. sort of stealing from your idols and you know like uh i think for me that meant just shooting a lot of varied content um right in the beginning and there's a lot of work that i shot that i was like i don't uh i knew that like for me it was just this quest to shoot something that i'm like this is exactly the sort of piece that i want to show people mm -hmm. uh from the story to the performances to the photography because i i don't go to most movies for the photography most of the time i'm there i mean because we're cinematographers, yes, that's part of how we interact with cinema. Um, and there are DPs that, like, if they shot it, I'm going to see it. Yeah. But as an audience, like, member before, that was a part of my life. No, that was not how I approached yeah. what I watched. And so for me, like, I just, it's, I think it just becomes more and more clear over time. Like, the more that I did things, the more I was like, well, that's not right for me. I like that human being as a director, but we're not making the same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that, like, I should invest time and energy in that uh, specific relationship because I don't see us going the same direction creatively. It's so I interesting. Think that, that's an interesting thing to, to do because I, I don't think that everybody has that um, approach in the sense that they're not willing to, like, risk not striking the iron while it's hot even if it's not necessarily what they want to be doing because I was because I guess this is I wanted to ask the question about because your your tone control and your aesthetic is so clear that it you're answering the question as to how you get there because it's not it's it's literally like I, I might be able to continue working with this director but I, I I simply can't because it's not the aesthetic that I'm trying to do and it's not you're, you're not you're not finding an enjoyment out of um trying to be whatever the project needs to be. I mean, you do that, but within within a certain... It has to speak to you on a certain level, aesthetically, to even start. 
Yeah, I think that, and honestly, that took me, a, like, at first you just say yes to everything because you're like, oh my God, somebody wants to pay me money sure. <laughs> yeah, to sure. shoot something wonderful. <laughs> like, this is great. And I think that's a really important part of the, like, important, important stage of the process. Some people, like, immediately knew this is my, t- my style of photography. This is my aesthetic. Um, for me, like, I don't quite totally know what that thing is. But I do know what, like, I know that a certain, like, I remember, because I've shot, I mean, it's not that I haven't shot high-key commercials. Like, I've shot high-key material, and I just, I would be lighting it, and I'd be like, this looks like utter shit. Like, why does this <laughs> look like this garbage? Everyone else seems happy. Uh, and yeah, then, and then, like, you know, you have to have that moment of, like, well, this isn't bad. It just doesn't speak to me. So every time I look at it, I have no access point to enjoy this photography in a way it also makes it difficult because if it's not speaking to you the nuance is not gonna matter in a way yeah yeah for for that content yeah i don't it's weird because it's like i don't i think at a certain point it just then at a certain point it's like well if you say yes to everything then you're not directing your like you know i think there's there's two sides of it one is like Yes, we all have the, like, sometimes you are a plumber, like, do your plumbing, make your money, pay your bills, you know, it's that whole thing of, like, uh, you know, creative, uh, uh, the paycheck and the relationships, and it's, like, trying to find at least one of three, maybe two of three as you go, and I feel like if you can live in a, if you can live in a way that's frugal enough that allows you the opportunity and you have a partner that's supportive enough to say, you know, these are the kinds of movies I want to make. Um, it makes it a lot easier to say, okay, you know, some of the early features I shot, they still reflect an aesthetic that I'm interested in, even if I ended up uh, feeling like Cuck is the perfect culmination of those things. Yeah. Um, but it all, yeah, I mean, and it's also just interesting that you were able to get features relatively early, I think, especially for someone who didn't go to film yeah. school and to have yeah. multiple. I mean, I like. I think. How, how many have you done now? Uh, Cuck, Cuck was my sixth. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's really crazy because it's like I don't know. I just I honestly moved out here and I thought I didn't think it would be that hard because I just didn't know. And in a way, there was like a there's a certain blessing to ignorance because mm-hmm. you're just yeah your pursuit is just pure in a way. Although mm-hmm. looking back, I do wish like you know I think learning patience, learning that like taking care of yourself, learning the, like, you know, building good habits into your life and, and sort like, of like, like seeing this as, what are you referring to? What are you referring to when you say like good habits that, that weren't happening? You know, I wasn't taking my physical health seriously. I wasn't taking my mental health seriously. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, uh, if you want to do this long term, yeah, like depression and anxiety are really great motivators for a while. Um, but you know, they're not the best, mo- like, happiness is a much better motivator than like just like trying to suffer through and sort of like force yourself. It, it, it's like when I came from that perspective, it was always like, well, is this job even worth doing? Cause is it going to do this for my career? Or do this, you know, have this outcome or am I going to actually like the end result and show these? And I think to a certain degree, you have to look at a project and say, okay, do I buy into the worlds this director builds at a certain point in the beginning, you're just, do we work well together? Can we even make something? That's mm-hmm. the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then at another p- 
point you're like, well, I kind of know what I'm bringing to the table here. Like I know the kinds of images I want to make. And I feel like, you know, I want to take risks with everything that I do and I want it to be new for me and exciting for me. But I want it to be with somebody that you're like, I trust you as a collaborator and as a director, and I'm going to have really strong ideas that I hold loosely, and I'm just going to throw a shit ton of ideas at you and see what connects with you. Sure. And along that journey, you're you're sort of like finding a mutual aesthetic that you know, if another director was directing it, it'd be different because I'm there to support the director. I'm there to make the director's film. Maybe I've gone off topic, but I think it's just. yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's like it's a it's a really exciting process that involves a lot of people and like a lot of getting to understand other people. And and I'm really lucky that I have a few collaborators that I really have bonded with. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's where the real exciting risky shit has happened. Well, it sounds like people. Yeah, because it sounds like with with I'm sorry, Macalis. Yeah, Macalis. Macalis. Okay. Yeah. All right. It took me a few times. I was like, oh, I was you, like wanna, you want me to shoot what film? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and that was that with a first time collaborator or no? So, yeah, I mean, Koji, uh, Koji and I met in Cannes like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very short conversation. I even remember seeing his like looking him up, looking at his work and being like, I don't know if we'd be a good fit. Uh, and then he reached out to me and he was just like, you know, he started talking about a lot of Korean films that we both love. It was very clear to me. It was very clear to me that he understood the kind of work that I was interested in making, that I wanted to make something where they, and I honestly, I think that's because he met me. We, we hit it off and like, I I remember him asking me like, Oh, who's your favorite DP? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm really into what Adam Arkapaw is doing right now. I love Snowtown murders and animal kingdom. And, uh, you know, it's, I think, he sort of followed this kind of like I honestly started using Instagram as a way to sort of talk about process yeah. and talk about like the things that I felt like I wanted to read and hear about, which mm-hmm. I didn't see everywhere. There's a lot of talk about gear and that. And so I feel like I don't know exactly that connected what in that with process. him. He was like, we'll say that one. You're saying that, that that connected with him. Yeah. Like he was just like, these are, that's the kind of stuff I want to make. And he owned, he was like, look, this, you know, this is my commercial reel. Like, uh, it's a lot of Japanese commercials. It's not exactly the sort of work that I want to make. It's not reflective of the narratives I want to tell. Yeah. And then he pitched the project and I was like, well, this sounds really incredible. And he sent me like a, you know, this amazing dossier of like all these locations he'd scouted like a year, like a year out so that we could shoot at just the right time in fall. I mean, it makes, it makes the, the perf- perfect sense to me just because the thing that is so striking is, is it going to be available to view anytime soon? That I don't know. Okay. It's, I, I don't know when. I know he's submitting it to festivals. Okay, so it's going to be a minute. But I, yeah, I'm just but saying I don't that. Know how long that'll be. The, the thing about it is just that it's so. Um, the word that comes to mind, I think, is controlled. That, that like, there's. there's, I don't know. There's a, there's a certain feeling that there. It seems like you had like all the time that you needed and that you were able to get everything to look exactly the way that you wanted. And I'm sure that that's probably not, that's not how it ever goes, but that's how it comes across. Um, and I'm just that the level of in lockstep that you, that with the director, how does, how do you get to that point? So that like you're the, the images and maybe, um, 
Is is there is there a, a trailer that's out that people could yes. see? Yes. Okay. Yeah, good. I can send you a trailer. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, for English speaking audiences. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because like I only had three days of prep. Uh, I didn't what? see any of the locations in advance, really? other than in photos. Yeah. And I only had uh, three people on my team, a ga- you know, a gaffer and two ACs, which they were really incredible. And they all jumped in and it was a t- really, it was one of the most familial, communal filmmaking experiences I've ever had, where we were all living together. We were, you know, that can go horribly wrong. But in this case, it was like... How many days? We ended up shooting, I think, nine days. Okay. So we had some time. It was... I think, you know, in that sort of like age old production triangle of like good, fast, cheap pick too, we were like going for good and cheap maybe yeah. for a short film. Nine days is a lot. But the advantage of that was we were able to walk in the space. Uh, Koji and I had spent a lot of time talking about what was the film about? What I'm was the language s- of the film? I'm not surprised though that the one that you had was time because that would be the one thing that the frames look so dialed in. Yeah, you know, even just just light fall off control, you, it just doesn't happen quickly, especially with a small crew. Um, it, that stuff was just so apparent. Yeah, there's, we were, a, there's a flawless honestly, nature like, to the light. It, it's it is something that's like it's a top down thing. Like mm. the only way to make a movie look the way that you want is for the director to understand that the look of the film is the film. Yeah, like. The aesthetic of the film is is everything about how the audience is going to uh, partake of their the imagery yeah. and and partake of the the feeling and emotive qualities of the story and and filmmaking is at its heart and even when it's often used as a talky medium at its heart it's visual storytelling and mm-hmm. cinematography is a like a core fundamental element of that and so honestly like the the most important thing I think in every like meaningful collaborative relationship I've had, you have to find some, there has to be some degree of trust. Like there has to be some degree of, I totally trust what you're doing. And as a result, I can take on the ideas that you're, you're presenting me and I can pitch them back to you with my twist. How did he um, give that, in what ways was he trusting you? Yeah. Like, what, what, what were you able to do? Uh, that was I I mean, guess, almost somewhat on your own or what? Yeah. I mean, when Koji came to me, he said, I don't, most of Japanese filmmaking right now, not all of it, but most of Japanese filmmaking right now is for TV. It's high key. It's very sharp. It's very uh, unmotivated in terms of camera movement. And he's like, I want all the opposite things of that. And this film is about an outsider. So I'm bringing an actress that is, you know, from Los Angeles, who's an uh, incredible Mexican-American actress. And uh, he brought in myself as an outsider so that it would have a different tonality. And so when he told me that, he was like, look, I have the Venice from Sony for free. What lenses do you want to use? What's interesting? So we tested Kawas, we tested standard speeds, we tested super speeds, and I sent him images. So it was a running dialogue for, you know, it was maybe a month out. We started like sending references to each other, uh, talking about films like, uh, now I'm going to blank, The Wailing or, and like uh, Secret Sunshine mm-hmm. and, um, you know, even Kurosawa and sort of talking about these more intentional controlled, sort of, but also like Assassination of Jesse James yeah. and 
No Country for Old Men. And, and so kind of what you have is then you have this sort of, you have a common visual language about, look, the camera doesn't move unless there's a purpose. And Koji was more of a control freak about that than even I was. I would come into scenes and be like, do you see this being, you know, this? And, and it's like, no, like, we're only going to move the camera here. And it's like, that's great. I love that. Oh, no, I mean, it makes sense to me because I, I, it's at the point, the, the film is, so, is dialed into the point that I was like, it's only going to be allowed to get to that point if the director was totally on yeah. board for that. Because they need to, at the end of the day, no matter how good you are at your job, like, if you're not being given the space and the time yes. to actually achieve that, if that's not a desire and a priority for the director, it's just not going to happen. It takes too and, and long. Even, yeah, like, from an aesthetic perspective, like, uh, okay, scheduling, you know, we had a day to shoot stuff in a forest that's all has to feel like one scene. And literally, like, the only way to shoot that is to shoot it sequentially to the light. Like, you have to block out your day yeah. in order, like, to so that there's continuity. I'm like, well, we have to basically stage most of this in backlight and shoot it in a way that mm-hmm. allows us to do that. Well, it takes the director being like, great, I'm willing to shoot it in that order. Or in this case, like I felt the freedom of like, here's somebody who flew me to Japan, knew I wouldn't get to see the locations until we, the day we, we shot them mm-hmm. and said, go dark. And it's like, that's like, you that's know, trust love, enough. yeah, like it doesn't, you have to have somebody that's like, I want this to be as dark as you you can't you know you you're willing to go, and that's like a really fun space to be in because you're like, okay, like let's see how far that is, like, and let's find out you know what he's willing to do, and you know, I feel like even for a film like Cuck, like that's a film where we had you know it was a roughly a four week shoot, mm-hmm. and we were dealing with schedule changes and a lot of challenging things but the director you know rob rob lambert he was like no this is really important to me that the character go through this entire arc even if we're shooting out say we're shooting at one location for a week he was like i want to start here in their arc and arc into this because they need to go through that emotionally so that when we get to this point it's authentic and it feels real and so as a cinematographer it's like okay well you know, there may be some areas I have to audible that because I'm like, look, this is like the light. We need to take advantage of this light or this light. And so you have somebody who at least understands, like we're all working on the same team here to make something that communicates a certain thematic, emotional thing. And that can only happen if you have, you find a common language in pre-production. And then on set, it's so much of it is just, I really don't know how else to describe it other than I look at it as like the alt, like alt, like one of the most exciting, like mindful mm-hmm. experiences in my life. Like an athlete, cuck was, you know, what's or that? just cuck was, or just, just shooting in general, yeah. shooting in a context where there's total trust given yeah, to the yeah, actors, yeah, yeah. given to you as a cinematographer. Because well, we're also talking because, about filming with intention. And like where every single yeah. thing is is purposeful, and it's not all. There's nothing that's happening just because, um, which can happen. I mean, it happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that's it, it's hard to find projects where everybody has that has that um, goal. But you found it seemingly twice now with the short and then Cuck. And I just wanted to talk about Cuck in a general sense too. Like, yeah. if you could describe what it's about, because I, I mean I find it so interesting 
when you know thought about in the context of your yeah. upbringing yeah i mean as somebody that grew up in kind of like a fringe uh subculture i feel like cuck's like a perfect sort of thing i think cuck is a i would describe it as a socio-political thriller uh that uses an alt-right vlogger uh or watches an alt-right vlogger as he radicalizes and eventually go resorts to violence yeah and he uses this character as a lens to look at american culture and to look at uh you know, the gun culture or the racism, the sexism, the Trump era mm-hmm. uh, politics and sort of, you know, it's something that I mean, it's happening like this is a real thing. And and by by creating I don't know if I would call it a cautionary tale, but by creating something that has the weight of like uh, that sort of sort of stabs at this, but doesn't necessarily, you know, takes all of the elements of what we're seeing in our culture. Yeah, but does it in a way that it's sto- I mean it's clearly like a fictional story yeah uh, it allows us to touch on things and deal with things that are still you know grounded authentic emotionally true but have something bigger to say about the culture and when you're yeah when you're I think it's always interesting because you're it touch it gets close enough to the what what you've lived through and, and maybe you still have friends that are still in that town and that you still have a life that's yeah. in that town and then you're working on something because it's one thing to like oh I'm, he's off in Hollywood making movies which is and you know different from what we do enough but at least it's none of it is ever maybe directly pointed like was there did it ever weigh on you in any way that like you might be making something that specifically a lot of your um, people that are from a certain part of your life might find like deeply offensive how do you how do you deal with that um I mean, that's a good question. I feel like my goal was to make a film that allowed you to access with empathy the humanity of this character while at the same time giving you an objective enough perspective that it doesn't... uh, The photography in no way presents him as a hero and in no way presents his ideology as something I'm sympathetic towards. Mm -hmm. And I feel like to me, that is the, you know, I, this is, I I think that if you're making a film that's not interested in sugarcoating reality, but is interested in sort of exploring the perversity of an absurdity of humanity, Mm -hmm. then you have to be willing for some people to be, uh, you have to be ready for some people to not like that. And I'm okay with that. I feel like it hasn't, I do expect that there will be some people in my life who find it very unsettling and offensive, but the title is probably unsettling and offensive to them. It it starts from the jump. (laughs) It starts from the jump. No, but I think that that's actually, that's like, I didn't know where you were going to take your answer and what you said makes total sense that you're like, you know, at the end of the day, if I am presenting it in a way that I feel is trying to be. I mean, look, it's it's a subjective medium, but we're trying to be as objective as we can. Um, that 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 is the answer, I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, what that meant, and and every film is different. I think, you know, part of an answer to your earlier question is like, yeah, you're probably not going to always work with collaborators who are intentional. That's your job. You're the cinematographer. Right. Like, it's your job. To, like, if you don't say, "Hey, I've been thinking about this thing." 
you know, I was just reading like how Fincher used only a 27 millimeter and 75 millimeter on Zodiac. And that really interested me. And I was wondering, can we be really specific with our lens choices and what those mean and say for us or whatever it is, you know, whatever's interesting you at the time, maybe it's something from a painting or a book or whatever. Yeah. Like if you're not giving that, this is my philosophy. I'm sure other people don't share it, but it's like, if you're not giving that part of yourself to your collaborators and your director, then I can never be upset when it doesn't have an intention to it. So for me, like a lot of the pre-production process is like, I mean, I'm in the middle of something right now where I'm just like, we're throwing images out, we're circling around some ideas, we're circling around some feelings, but I haven't quite landed on this is, I mean, I still have a week and a half before we shoot. Mm -hmm. You know, I, but it's a lot of like letting those things percolate and then they sort of like all come into one thing. And then I'm like, this is how I think we approach this and do this. And you see, you know what I mean? And you, and you see where the, what your collaborators think and how they add and take from that. Um, well, it's tough because you're, you're, you're the thing that I always um, marvel at is that filmmaking is a, for months. You talk about something that doesn't exist and you talk yeah. about it in concrete terms. It's crazy in a way. Yeah. And it, and the reality is it doesn't, you sort of have to do it in both the, you know, I always look at it as this, this idea of like, you need to know the box to step outside of it. Hmm. So it's sort of like heavy pre-production is sort of like creating your framework and understanding I have this many people in terms of crew. I have this much money in terms of my gear. I have this many days. Also creatively, I want to do this. I want to do this. But at a certain point, some of those restraints are dictated by your uh, your logistical restraints. Yeah. And so you sort of are taking those on and saying, well, how do I use those to my advantage? What are, you know, and what are the things I can do within that context that allow me to sort of do something that's new for me uh, and unique for me? And so I think you also have this, I mean, one of the, my, like, my favorite, part, like, my, my favorite things about being a cinematographer are like, A, you get to spend a lot of time visualizing. Uh, that part is very fun for me. Like mm. it's sort of saying, what's the arc of this film? What is this film about? Who's in this film? How do we get into each scene? How do we get out of each scene? Uh, what what does camera movement mean in this film? What lenses are we using on this film, and why? Like what what are we trying to say about these characters? What are we trying to have the audience feel in this moment and in this scene? And, and taking that and saying, these are images that pop in my head. These are references that come up to me. Talking about it with friends. Where, you know, I have friends who I'm like, you know, it's like, you need the people you can talk about Claire Denis with. And you need the people you can <laughs> sort of be like, yeah, did you see da-da-da-da-da? And it's, it's the visualization of like, okay, this is my arc in terms of my color palette to reflect this. Uh, it's all, you're all just going, I mean, you're all just describing deeply intention as well. Yeah, and I think that to me is what's interesting about the job is like, you know, every location, okay, as soon as you shoot in two spaces in one house, you've just created contrast because you're now in one place and you're in another, whether there's similarity or difference. And so every location, every time you, literally, if you come into the same scene in the same bedroom five times, I mean, it's the advantage of shooting a one location movie is you sort of have to tell yourself, which Cuck is not a one location film, nor is Mock Release, but... Uh, it's like doing something that's really contained forces you to say, well, I have all these tools at my disposal as a DP, depth of field, uh, lens choice, lighting, color palette, you know, camera movement. How do in this context, how do I create an arc so that not every scene feels like it looks exactly and feels exactly the same so that it 
mirrors yeah. or contrasts uh, this, what we're doing emotionally. And that know? is what you geek out on. Yeah. And so <laughs> I love that process because it's like just go crazy for, you know, a bit with that and mm -hmm. like get really in the director's head. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't happen. You know, sometimes it just you don't have the time. And the commercials are a different beast. Music videos are a different beast. Uh, but you can still do some of these things. Yeah, but I think what you are describing is particularly narrative. And I think that you've also just made it quite clear. Like, that's that's what you want to do to the point that that's kind of like really the, the what, what you're what you're gunning for in the same way that you're even gunning about aesthetic and tone. And I think that that type of um, laser focus has really shown its benefits when thinking about your... The, the career and like I, I and I would imagine like where you want to be taking it into the future because I it seems like cuck is essentially the type of thing that you want to be making long term yeah I'm very interested in uh character studies that and in I love psychological thrillers I feel like both of those those worlds can also intersect um mm -hmm. you know what I mean but I I love a lot of drama as well. I think mostly I'm fascinated by the human condition and what it has to say about who we are as a as a people and also specific cultures and what those people are. I think, you know what, I think for me, it's like I love turning a corner and being, I mean, you saw this one, that bar we went to in the Valley. It's like, I love turning a corner and being surprised. Like, to me, that is the beauty of life is that we enter spaces and places and eat food with people and eat foods that you never even dreamed existed. And especially when you come from like a really restrictive environment, a really controlled place, it's sort of like when you step outside of that, you're suddenly like the world is multifaceted and beautiful and there are people with all sorts of different yeah. uh, That's, identities. It's yeah. fascinating that you're saying all of that because I, you know, I was born and raised very close to New York City and was always coming into the city and the the, the larger world was all, was known to me from a very young age and it's fascinating to hear for someone from the opposite because I, I do wonder where it's like that's providing um, a set of eyes on things that is seems seemingly quite uh, curious because I think a lot of this um, adventurous uh, exploration of things came so much later. Yeah, I think, but I do think like curiosity is like your greatest tool. It's like, a, as a cinematographer, it's what keeps you interested. It's what keeps you sort of like alert and awake to not only discovering your own self and your own interests, but also discovering the world around you. I think one thing I'm extremely proud of is like the people who've seen Cuck, they watch it and they're like, this doesn't feel like L.A. And I'm like, well, it's the San Fernando Valley. Like, it's not L.A but it's also like right by it. Mm -hmm. And the only reason you can do something like that is if you're willing to say like, you know, to be curious about the world that you're creating, you know, and to realize that like presenting the, like for us, like we want to sort of just like shove this character at the audience and force them to deal with it and not like not tell them how to feel or exactly what to think, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think for me, that's like fascinating. It's like, I also think I interacted with a lot of really like interesting people in the worlds that I grew up grew up in, and like, it sort of reminds you that like people can sort of believe whatever they want to believe, regardless of reality. 
Yeah. Um, and they'll base their lives on, on something that's not, and, and I'm not even saying that like, in an, I'm not even pointing to one specific thing for my own past or anything like that. It's just, you know, human beings are not necessarily rational. Like we're very emotional creatures who have been, uh, who have cultivated defense mechanisms in order to survive. And we're constantly in this dance between intimacy and independence. And we're all fight like in, it, I love it. I think it's fascinating. I love that. And to me, like visualization is an extremely fun part of the process, but then holding that, you know, knowing those ideas and going into something, then it allows you to sort of, Oh fuck. Like our location just changed. Our biggest location changed a week out from when we shot cock. And it's like, Rather than just, I mean, I'm sure I freaked out, but also <laughs> we ended up with something better. And the reality was it forced us every time we went to shoot a scene, it was like, well, this shot list doesn't work. Uh, quickly scan and see if there's anything you like. And then, okay, let's just block it and we'll watch it. And I think, you know, intention doesn't mean that it's all like, I love Fincher. I think he's super interesting. I love the amount of like how articulate and perfect, you know, how controlled everything he does is. I'm also so fascinated by something that I think Steve McQueen and Sean Bobbitt do so well, which is intentional, formal compositions yeah. that are also very grounded yeah. and organic. And the reason that it's that way is they don't go in with the shot list. I, I for me, I love having a strong shot list that you sort of are willing to set aside, and then you, you come into I think space. You, you defined it really great. Like strong opinions held loosely is yeah the perfect. Uh, way to describe this exact approach, I think. Yeah, because yeah, then you go in and then you're like, oh my God, like, you know, your hands are, like, and Makalise and Cuck, this happened multiple times. You're watching a scene and you're like, did you see what he just did with his hands or his feet? Like, you know, let's get that. Or literally, you'll get to the end of a take and like, if you have this worked out and people know what you're, where you're headed, it's like, you know, I'll shoot a close-up on, on someone's face, and then as soon as, like, the director calls, I'm like, hang on one sec, can I just grab, and you just tilt down and you grab this piece that you've been watching during the whole scene. And it's like, you're giving them another nuanced layer to who this character is. Now, do they use all those pieces? No. But you're also able to use those as ways to come into and out of every scene yeah. and, and sort of staying, allow for the... You're staying present. What's that? It's staying present. Yeah, that's why I think it's like, it's sort of rather than just like because I think I mean, also people is, people like forget or I remember for me one of the biggest things because I came into this through Doc, and I remember yeah. being on my first narrative set, and the thing that struck me the most was realizing that it's not that different. Like there's still human beings in their own control. Like anything can happen, you know, and and I and the 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 presence that is. The, the benefit of it, even in a um, controlled environment, everyone is going off of a script. But if you stay present, that you're like, you're still filming something where anything can happen. You're letting yourself capture something when something does happen that is totally unexpected. I, I, you know, the best narrative is almost, you know, you, you and I, I don't want to call it a doc mindset, but it's just this mindset that it's not necessarily going to go the way it's written on the page. Yeah. I mean, that's the part of what's exciting is like, and I will say, you know, it takes a little bit of time to work with performers that, I mean, not that's part of part of it is like so much of our job as a cinematographer is the environment we create, uh, both the lighting and the aesthetic. But I mean, the people you hire and the way that you run your crew around talent. It's like, how do I create an environment and a space? And I, I'm, I mean, I've shot a lot of sex scenes in my career 
And that's something that becomes more apparent in those scenes. Sure. Because um, you're trying to j- create an environment where intimacy and emotional vulnerability are, and physical vulnerability, mm-hmm. vulnerability are treated with the utmost professionalism, the utmost respect, but also that, you, you know, I can be three feet from an actor and they can feel very comfortable with who I am and my presence. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like when you bring that up, I, it reminds me of a story that I always tell where I was on a, a narrative set and, and it was a scene where someone was needing to cry. And at the end of the set, like one of the ACs just kind of yelled something out with, without a lot of nuance. And I remember I, like, I went up to them and like, you know, I know that they're acting, but someone in this room is like crying right now. I would get that it's it's for a manufactured reason, but they brought themselves to a place where they're genuinely crying. Like, there's sadness in this room, and you need to act that way. Like, if, if someone was crying naturally, you wouldn't have just yelled like that. And it's, yeah. it's, that's, and that's, those are the moments where I was like, it's, it's, it's closer to the, the what I came up in in Doc than, than I, than I realized in the beginning. And I think that those were the realizations that really uh, got the hooks in me for, just enjoying the the making of narrative because it's this stuff yeah and this is the most to me like it's sort of it's an it's almost more exciting that you didn't wake up you know when you were a kid and you're like this is who i'm going to be and exactly what i'm going to be you know it's sort of that you have the miracle of discovery Mm. along you know the magic of your own life unfolding before you and if you get the right i mean it's so amazing to me that Literally every single like this is gonna sound like the most hippy dippy stuff, but every it. person in the room, like their energy, their presence is affecting what's happening there, and like it's the same thing with like a team. It's the same thing with you know like in sports or in music. It is, it's that it's the same idea of like the, like a, you know a musician plays their instrument, the conductor plays the orchestra, and in the same way like in film, like we all bring these pieces, but you need a, a director who can sort of like manage those pieces. And, and some of your, I mean, the cinematographer has a very large voice and role on set, how you treat people, what you do matters. Um, you know, even, even in Macalise, we have a lot of scenes where there's a lot of sorrow being expressed. I mean, it's a meditation on death and human suffering. Like yeah. a lot of the guys I was working with and, and, and women, cause we had, uh, we were very fortunate to have like, it was one of those great, instances where it was more women than men on set mm-hmm. and it's a different energy yeah uh you know a lot of those people were used to working in commercials uh and so it's like you know some of what i had to do was just say like i really respect like what the work that you guys are doing what you're bringing to the table here i love what you're doing uh you know we need to create a space for this actor uh and that means we need a whisper you know and it's just yeah, they're, step yeah. Out if you're especially if they're commercial, they're used to just yeah. things that aren't that heavy. Yeah, yeah, and you you can't. I don't think that you know. I don't think even if an if a performer is doing some, you know, it's something I actually heard Paul Thomas Anderson say. Like that, one of the the only Q and A I went to that he was at, which was uh, I just love his movie, so it was like super fun for me. Mm-hmm. But he said something about I, you know, and it's true of conversation too. It's like that idea of like, I don't usually remember how movie, like what happened in movies, but I always remember how they made me feel. And I feel like the reason is you're witnessing genuine humanity, like genuine human emotion on screen. Uh, and, and you are able to see yourself in that person or see yourself in that situation and begin to 
question your own life, question your own feelings, question your own uh, choices, you know, and that to me is part of the power of, of the medium. Um, I think I, that can happen in a commercial space. I think that can happen with music videos, but it happens most uh, cohesively in, in cinema, in narrative. But. That to me, I know that if we allow this to keep going, it'll be like what <laughs> happened uh, when we were hanging out a month ago, that it was all of a sudden it's it, like the whole night went by. But um, so that, that's been an hour. Um, I, I, I love all, all of the topics that we talked about. I, I had a feeling that it was going to be a conversation like this, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you for your time, and also thank you for, for you know, explaining that type of um, upbringing. Because for me, it, it's always been so fascinating to hear you talk about it because it's, it's so starkly uh, different from mine. And for that to be coming from a person whose work I really admire, it's, it's just... Um, it's so fascinating to think about and talk about. I appreciate it. I think there's, uh, coming from that environment, it gives you great room for empathy if you're willing to, if you're willing to pursue that. Cool, man. Well, thank you. Thanks so much.